It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Got to do something to get you up and moving on a Saturday morning. Hey there, Ashley Frasca back with you on Green and Growing. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Of course, so glad you are tuning in this morning. You're waking up to it being a little wet outside. I, I wasn't expecting overnight showers, but... They, they must not have been too bad. Didn't wake me up. But yeah, driving in, everything was a little bit wet. But meteorologist Kirk Mellis says that's just the first part of the day. And then showers are going to move off. It's going to be a pretty sunny day. It's going to be nice. So on social media, if you follow uh, me on Twitter, at Ashley Frasca WSB, or the Green and Growing Show Facebook page. I'm so proud of that. I try to update that almost every day. Will you just search Facebook, Green and Growing WSB? I've promised you a lot of things in today's show. Uh, today's show, I, I am going to give you a soil recipe. I've done a lot of research for raised beds that we just finished building in the backyard. I started tomato, pepper, and okra from seed, so I'm really anxious to get those planted. They're not quite ready to go outside yet. I don't know why it's taken so long. They've they've been from seed for eight weeks in the house, and they're just not ready to go outside quite yet. I don't feel like they're tough enough, but we've had a lot of time to research the proper soil for those raised beds. So coming up just after six o'clock, I'll share with you kind of a good recipe. I've had some friends ask as well what best to do. You're getting those raised beds ready. And we are also going to have turf specialist, the grass guru, Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia, the extension office as well. He's uh, down at the Griffin campus. He's going to be joining us beginning just before 730. So any of your lawn questions, those are going to be awesome for Clint to answer. He's been on the show a number of times with Walter, and we're always glad to have him back. And who knew Fox News host Brian Kilmeade knows a little bit about gardening. So I will speak with him at seven o'clock. He'll be the celebrity gardener of the show today. So we're going to do a lot of turf talk today, primarily, because this is really now when your Bermuda is greening up and you're just so anxious to get out there. And our fescue looks great. We did a seed application in the fall and then did another reseeding back in like late February, I believe. And so it's just going nuts. So I've already probably mowed the fescue, I would say, four or five times. So if your fescue is nice and strong and tough, you're keeping up with that. And we're also going to get into the importance of changing the, the blade height on your mower because that's something that I had never, ever, ever done. Just take it out of the shed, mow the grass, put some gasoline in it, put it right back. And uh, I, I got a little talking to a couple of days ago when I mowed the lawn that I had never, wasn't even aware of how to change the blade height. So we'll definitely talk to Clint about some lawn myths, things that you should or shouldn't be doing, things that maybe you hear and you just don't think they make any sense, but you do them just because your friend does them or because someone else has told you to do them. So we know that last weekend, a lot of our area was impacted with those severe storms that came through Sunday night into Monday. Unfortunately, we had a number of fatalities in the double digits here in in north, north of metro Atlanta, really. Most of them contained in the northwest part of the state, but uh, also some storms coming in again tomorrow. So we want to be weather aware. Tornado months are March, April, and May when we really need to look out for the severe weather. And maybe you've been doing some storm cleanup this week. I hope everybody fared safely from the severe storm. So we had a conversation with Georgia Power, and they are going to kind of uh, let us know what is best to do. With me today, I've got utility arborist from Georgia Power, John Balcom. Welcome back. Hey. 
And John Kraft, who is public relations for Georgia Power. John, right. good morning. Good morning. Really good to have John and John with us this morning. <laughs> Gentlemen, we know we're in tornado season, March, April, May, and it didn't take long this past Sunday night to have our first round of fatal tornadoes, especially hard hit where sections in far northwest Georgia and significant damage around Atlanta and also mid-state and even down around America's and southwest Georgia Y'all did a great job. Georgia Power did a great job of having the majority of power restored by the end of Monday and finalizing last trouble spots overnight Tuesday, you say. So first, we'll start with utility arborist John Balcom. Tell me a little bit about what you do out in the field for Georgia Power. Sure, yeah. I'm here in Metro Atlanta, utility arborist supervisor. We help manage the vegetation along our utility rights way, keeping the our access available so we can maintain the lines and uh, periodically having to trim trees as they get close to the wires as well. And downed limbs, downed trees, often very treacherous this time of year for motorists as well. So you all have kind of a calvary of folks that really look out and work with local police jurisdictions on storm stuff, right? That's right, yeah. So we're always uh, in tune with the weather. We're watching the weather. We know when it's coming in. We're preparing. We're staging crews, and we're ready to respond uh, when the when the power goes out, if if that's the case. So there, there's a there's a lot of logistics going on behind the scenes, but we're always watching that weather and, and working to be prepared. And you all have crews that are deployed throughout the state of Georgia, right? That's right. Yeah, we're, we're statewide, and uh, we'll look to see where the biggest impact may be, and if needed, we can adjust crews and move crews and stage them as well. And John Kraft, you work closely with us in the media when Georgia Power has messages that need to be put out or safety type stories and things like that. So tell me a little bit about what's added to your day-to-day role during storm coverage. So we want to provide information to customers so that in working with the media, and you guys are always a great help in disseminating that sort of information, let customers know what's happening, you know, what type of damage we may be seeing. Frequently it might be trees or lightning, things like that. Get that information out there, let you know what resources are there for the customer, like our outage storm center, our outage map, the outage alerts that people can sign up for to to receive text notifications about their particular outage. Uh, Those types of things, as well as safety reminders, you know, don't go out and start cleaning up that storm debris. (laughs) Could have wires in it, you know, that's come down just as soon as the storm ends. Now, I can say in the traffic center, we definitely use your outage map because we'll get calls from traffic troopers telling us about traffic signals that are either flashing or have gone out completely during storms. How can folks access that very useful outage map? Right. So georgiapower.com slash storm is the quickest way to get there. Uh, We have a mobile app as well. So you may want to just download it on your phone and then it's just a a few clicks away and uh, you can check in and see where those outages are occurring. Very good. And now this is for either one of you, too. Any recommendations or safety instructions that you feel that you would warn folks against in these really bad thunderstorms we have in the spring? What can they do inside their homes to stay safe? Yeah, I'll just uh, reiterate what John was saying about downed wires and and trees. Just because the power's out, don't assume that the line is not energized. Um, That that, that can be, unfortunately, a fatal mistake. So if, if wires are down on the road, stay in your home, call Georgia Power. Um, call 911 and they can secure the area and, and let us come and, and do our work. So never assume any line is de-energized just because the power's out. We like to say a live line looks just like a dead line. Right. So, so never never make that assumption. We, we have some squirrels that kind of demonstrate that for us in Metro <laughs> Atlanta sometimes when you know that it's a live wire, right? A live that, line. That can happen. Getting away from storms a little bit, something a little more uh, fun that you all can brag on Georgia Power for this 
Governor Kemp recently, back a few months ago, recognized you as one of three corporate forest landowners for stewardship. What exactly is Georgia Power doing to help wildlife and to to really be out in nature and and help our environment here in Georgia? Exactly. That was part of the DNR's uh, Forestry for Wildlife Partnership. Uh, Part of our recognition as Georgia Power was, uh, uh, for instance, our application of restorative prescribed fire to more than 6,000 acres uh, of, uh, of forest lands. And that's, you know, that sounds counterintuitive at first, but fire is a key part of the ecosystem that is naturally occurs. So we want to make sure that we're helping that. That helps these, the longleaf pine environment, for instance, is critical to have that, that fire as part of the, uh, the controlled fire as part of its, uh, its uh, success. Uh, we've also opened 20,000 uh, plus acres for the public as DNR wildlife management areas. Uh, and we're also taking part in DNR's Safe Harbor Program. That's uh, helping restore populations of endangered uh, woodpeckers, for instance. That's amazing that you guys do that work. And John Balcom, utility arborist with Georgia Power, you're kind of out in the fields too, and you see a lot of the work that you all do. And we talked a few months ago around Arbor Day. Y'all handed out saplings to residents and homeowners here in, in Metro Atlanta. How do you see some of the work that Georgia Power is doing out in the field? We uh, we were uh, involved with the Arbor Day events around the state, uh, handing out saplings to plant and and you know we really use that opportunity as a time to think about planting the right tree in the right place. Um, trees are a great asset uh, to the state and, and Metro Atlanta, and we want to preserve the the canopy here in Metro Atlanta. You know, if you look at Metro Atlanta, it has one of the largest uh, percent tree canopies of any major metro- metropolitan area in the country. Now, what does that mean exactly? You know, like if you fly out of the airport, as soon as you get up above the tree line, you look down, all you see are trees, and that's the tree canopy. That really helps with the heat island effect. That can uh, can go on in the summer, and so uh, you know, planting the right tree in the right place, thinking about the the size the tree is going to be, keeping it away from utility wires, letting the tree grow to maturity, really uh, helps the long term benefit of the tree. So think about right tree, right place, and uh, we can we can continue to grow trees here in Atlanta and the state. To find out more information on this about our vegetation management activities and planting the right tree in the right place is GeorgiaPower.com/trees. And John Kraft, you all take such a huge responsibility. That means a lot to Georgia Power to be as involved in the environment and as involved in the community as you are. So how can folks kind of educate themselves or even find resources through you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I have another website address for you, georgiapower.com slash environment. And that will give you links to all of our various programs and initiatives, our lakes uh, lakes and recreational facilities around the state coming up with spring. Great time. People want to get out and enjoy those. I'm ready to go camping. So that may be one of the first places I look. There you go. Well, John Kraft, Public Relations with Georgia Power and John Balkum, Utility arborist from georgia power i really appreciate you guys taking the time during this harried storm season in metro atlanta to talk to our listeners glad to do it thank you glad to be here thank you ashley and maybe you want to thank work crews folks can give a virtual thanks to line crews by using the hashtag thank on social media posts or by signing a digital thank you card that can be found at georgiapower.com slash thank we will be back with more on green and growing here at 95.5 wsb self-isolation never sounded so good listen to atlanta's news and talk on your desktop or laptop we're streaming live on wsbradio.com
Welcome back to Green and Growing. Would love for you to give us a call, 404-872-0750. And keep in mind, just after 7 o'clock, we're going to be hosting a guest, Clint Waltz, from the University of Georgia Turf Specialist. He can answer all your questions, guaranteed, about the most common grasses here in Georgia. So if you have any issues there, you'll want to call 404-872-0750. Clint will help uh, me answer some of those calls. But first, a weather update for you so you can plan the weekend. Brought to you by Finley Roofing. A few scattered light showers the first part of the day. You may be waking up to see it's a little wet. It rained overnight, but those will be burning off. It'll be sunny. Highs around 67 and lows in the upper 40s. Tomorrow, you want to be weather aware. When the meteorologists say that, I would take it seriously because scattered showers and thunderstorms likely on and off. But the severe storms, those are possible in the evening, especially in the south. Cooler tomorrow, highs in the mid-60s and lows in the low 50s. So be weather aware then. But then all of that will kind of go away. It's going to be cloudy Monday, but at least it will be dry. So right now I wanted to talk about the soil blend that you put into your raised bed. Sorry if you're not doing vegetable gardening this year. You can just kind of tune out. But that is the most important ingredient that you're going to have is the soil. More gardens fail or falter due to poor soil than anything else. So this is kind of key that you do this right. If you're going to spend the time and the money, it's an investment. You want to make sure you do it right. Fill the beds with a mix of topsoil, compost, other organic material like manure to give your plants a nutrient-rich environment. So how do you start? You've already built the raised beds. Now you just have no idea what to put in them. So if they're really deep like mine, I mean, mine are almost waist high, and we built them from scratch, just from, from lumber from the store. So they're deeper, and that was going to cost a lot more money to put dirt in there. So first of all, we just put anything we could to fill the bottom. I know the roots aren't going to get that deep. So old bags of concrete, seriously, that we had in the garage that we hadn't used for a project, filled the bottom with those. Some um, small trees that we had cut up into pieces, larger limbs, all of that could go into the bottom. And then topsoil on that. To prepare the soil for planting, though, spread any needed amendment like compost and stuff. Work them into the soil with a tiller or a spade. So that's obviously on the top part of everything else that you do. Avoid stepping on freshly tilled soil or you'll compact it and then you undo all your hard work from making it light and airy. Rake the surface smooth and water thoroughly and allow the bed to rest for several days before you plant. So that's kind of where we're at. So we filled it, then did, I think, like 95 bags of topsoil. This is an eight by eight bed with like a walk-in in the middle. So 95 bags of topsoil. That wasn't cheap, nor was that easy, but letting that rest a little bit. And then I'm going to go in and put the garden soil and other things in. So here's some basic things, a good ingredient mix for your raised beds. Four bags of topsoil. This is maybe like for a four by eight bed, a smaller rectangular bed that's maybe about nine inches high. So four bags of topsoil. Using topsoil from your yard can contain weeds. Just be mindful of that. Two pails of coconut core. That's kind of optional. Two bags of compost or composted cow manure. That's easy to find. And then a two-inch layer of shredded leaves or grass clippings. Make sure the grass clippings are fertilizer and herbicide-free. And start using coffee grinds and get into the idea of composting, eggshells, kitchen waste, and all of that. So I'll be putting this on the Facebook page later on today. Green and Growing WSB, if you want to check that out on Facebook. we got to take a break. Check news, weather, and traffic. But Walter Reeves will join us coming up after 6.30. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. 
Thanks for tuning in to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. I'm Ashley Frasca. You hear me Monday through Friday from the traffic team joining you on Saturday mornings learning together. Learning about landscapes and flowers, lawns, everything. Everything you and I learning together. Anything that I learn or experiment with or try, I want to share with you. And I always welcome you to call and teach me a thing or two as well. 404-872-0750. I have some great questions coming up from Tony about using image on his Bermuda lawn. That's the all-in-one lawn weed killer. So we want to make sure we're doing that at the right time. Nicole, I'm so glad you called this morning with a question about Crossvine. She must have gotten Walter Reeves uh, bi-monthly newsletter, gardening newsletter, because he had some fabulous pictures in that that just came out on Thursday of Crossvine and really good uses for that. And Monty in Ackworth wants to know about planting tomatoes in five-gallon buckets. Yes, that's possible. You definitely don't have to have a raised bed or a large area in your yard. And speaking of Walter Reeves, grasses are the theme today. We're going to be taking your calls about anything lawn-related and everything else. 404-872-0750. But first, some wisdom from the Garden Guru. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. Walter, thanks for coming back. What have you been up to these last couple of weeks? Well, I've been sitting on my front porch looking at my nice, pretty lawn in front of the house that I am transferring the St. Augustine grass that I used to have into Mondo grass because my lawn is so shady that even the St. Augustine won't grow very well there. And so I have kids who are out planting Mondo grass every weekend, and that's what I like to look at, them working and me sitting on the porch. That's right. You've earned that. Now, that's going to take a while to fill in. Are they just planting it sprig by sprig, or do you have larger sprig mounds? By sprig. Wow. i got a great big patch of it in the upper part of my garden, and they dig up around the edge of the patch, and they put sprig by sprig by sprig, about six inches apart. And they can do, you know, 100 or 200 maybe in a, an hour or so. So they're not bad. It's like Cool Hand Luke. You know, the sheriff sits on the porch and watches <laughs> the guys out there breaking up rocks. That's me, Cool Hand Walter. Hey, a little hard work never hurt anybody. So I, I like that the kids are actually getting out and exploring the outdoors now. And their parents, too, you know, homeowners are finally like, all right, if there ever was a time for me to tidy up my lawn or, you know, I'm really going to seed and do well this year. This is the time for us to get a lot of lawn questions. And Clint Waltz, our friend from uh, the extension office at University of Georgia, he's going to be joining me later. But before you and I get into that conversation, you've got a surprise for me. I have a quiz. Another quiz. Oh, my gosh. I didn't do my homework. (laughs) (laughs) You called me. I quiz you. All right. That's the deal. Where are our lawn grasses native to. Where did they come from? Anything that you might or might not know about grasses, I'll just go one, two, three, but you know. Hmm, okay. Where did, where did fescue grass come from, Ashley? <sighs> fescue grass is a cool season grass, right? So it survives right, under it. the cool weather. I'm going to go with Europe. Who that girl's 100%. Whoa, all right. One right. for one. Sweet. Europe is fescue. All right. We're going to see how well you do with zoysia grass. Okay, I don't know as much as zoysia, but correct me if I'm wrong. It kind of has a similar look to Bermuda, right? Does it function yeah, similar to yeah, Bermuda? Sure does. Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere tropical, maybe warmer. I'm going to go with South America. No. No. <laughs> the good guess, though. It is they, tropically warm down there. Okay. Sure. Uh, Korea. And there are several uh, named uh, varieties or named species of zoysia grass that uh, have Korea or some reference to uh, Asia in the name. And so zoysia grass comes to us from Korea, not South America. Fascinating. Bermuda grass. 
my thought process is going to be the same, but I don't want to guess Asia. But I think I'm going to because of what you just said based on Zoysia. So Bermuda comes from China. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Asia <laughs> somewhere. We're not sure quite where. Maybe okay. some parts of Africa as well. Uh, there are several species of Bermuda grass too. And so mostly Asia, some Africa, and not from the U.S. We haven't got one yet from the U.S., you notice. So none of our, well, we don't know about that. We've got one more to talk about. Okay. What about centipede grass? Centipede, I, I learned last or a couple of shows ago that it is a bent grass, which I didn't even know that. But well, most, not no? exactly. Okay. It is a, it is a low growing grass, certainly, but there's a species of grass called bent grass that uh, they use on golf courses. But centipede would be a low growing grass, but not really truly a bit grass. Okay, so see, I know nothing about centipede, so you tell me. Where's it from? <laughs> China! China, oh, China, China! Wow. Okay. So, still, all the four main turf grasses we we have in Atlanta are all not native. So, if someone said, I want all native plants in my yard, right there beside my lawn, say, honey, you got to take up that lawn because it's not native. Buffalo grass is native to the U.S. or to North America. What else? There are not many more. Ask Clint when he comes on. What other, is there any other grasses that might be native to the, to the U.S. or North America? Interesting. Okay, we'll do. So let's talk about maintenance because, as you said, the door swung wide open when the weather got warmer. Um, every lawn, every one of those lawn grasses that I talked about has a particular kind of maintenance that it likes and we need to give a plug before this interview is over and talk about my lawn calendar so let's, let's not do it right now every grass has a mowing height appropriate for it every grass has a time that it should be fertilized appropriate for it so let's talk about everybody's out mowing their lawns right now so let's talk about mowing heights for yeah so grass, whether right? you've got a push mower or a till maybe rotary kind of mower or a riding mm -hmm. lawn mower there's always adjustments that could be made to the blade height right yeah, exactly. Every tractor, every lawnmower, you can adjust the blade height. And you need to measure, literally with a ruler, how high you're cutting your grass. Fescue grass needs to be around three inches. If you mow fescue much lower than that, it will be really stunted. It will not be happy. It will not have good roots on it either. And that's the one thing fescue needs desperately in the summertime is good, deep roots. By cutting fescue short, you shorten the roots. Hmm. And you know what I've learned recently, too? I was doing a lot of research on uh, using lawn clippings. I was trying to learn more about using them for compost. But I thought it was an age-old disagreement whether or not you bag your lawn clippings behind the mower or just let them fall back into the lawn. And now science really says, especially with fescue, too, like it's healthy yeah. to leave the lawn clippings on the grass because it puts Absolutely. nitrogen back in and all of that. So even more so, you know, you don't want the fescue to get too tall before you mow it, because then if yep. you're leaving those grass clippings on it, it could wet it down, it could get matted, and all that kind of thing, right? It makes thatch, mm -hmm. a thatch layer, and that's not good for the no. lawn. No. And so that's the reason, let's go to zoysia grass, because zoysia, if any grass will make a thatch layer, it is zoysia, because the zoysia grass blades have a lot of silicon in them, and the silica um, is hard to decompose, frankly. And so zoysia, even though sometimes it looks like it does not need mowing, you can look at a zoysia lawn for about two weeks at a, at a time and say, I'm not going to mow it, it doesn't look like it needs mowing, I'm not going to mow it, it doesn't look like it needs it. But you'll find that it's growing very slowly, taller and taller and taller as you're delaying mowing. And eventually when you do mow it, like you said, you mow off the top, couple of inches and you expose nothing but brown underneath that yeah. and the 
the clippings can't decompose very well, and so you end up with a thatch layer, which again is bad for the grass. Okay. So, zoysia, let's put zoysia down to about two inches or so, just for round numbers. Zoysia, mow it at two inches, and you'll, generally speaking, avoid thatch. But also, mow zoysia regularly. Don't put it off. Don't think it doesn't need mowing because it doesn't look right. Um, mow it every seven days, mow it every five days, and you'll be a lot better off. Yeah, I'm mowing my fescue right now every seven or nine days. We'd had a lot of rain, mm-hmm. and it's getting you know more filled in and lush. So, yeah, you really have to pay attention to that and make time for it if you want the proper lawn. Yeah. Uh, Bermuda grass, here's one. You said you have your fescue. It looks nice and lush and green and everything. If you want Bermuda to look its best, mow it more often. Now, that's something that's hard to do mm-hmm. if you're working in an office. But, hey, we're all working at home now. <laughs> You'll so get at least three or four good mowings in now, right? <laughs> yeah, right. If you want the Bermuda grass to look good, mow it every four to five days. Yeah. Uh, but mowing at five-day intervals gives you a nice spread to the Bermuda grass. When you mow it that low, it spreads out very nicely, makes a nice thick growth. And if you fertilize it correctly, you can have a darn good-looking Bermuda lawn if you mow it every five days. Perfect. And then, uh, so what have we not done? We haven't done centipede. Uh, centipede. Centipede. And that's one where mowing is particularly important because centipede tends to, as I said earlier, it tends to stay low on the ground. It's very stolen. It stays real low on the ground. And if you mow it too low, you'll get a terrible case of centipede decline where it just sort of disappears on you if you mow it too low. If you mow it too high, you get another case of diseases and some decline there too because it shades itself out. So centipede grass, too, I would say around two inches, just like zoysia. Bermuda grass around an inch and a half to two, maybe. Depends on which uh, kind of Bermuda you have. So zoysia was two inches. Centipede, two inches. Bermuda around an inch and a half, maybe two inches is okay. Fescue, three inches high. Good info there. Walter, another thing that people wonder, A, if they need to do it, or B, just when to have it done, aerating their lawns before putting down seed. Good, good question. You need to aerate most lawns because the soil tends to get hard. And if a hard soil is in your in your lawn area, the grass has a hard time penetrating. Oxygen can't get up and down from the atmosphere into the soil. Water can't get down from the soil, from atmosphere down into the soil either. So aeration means poking holes in the ground and uh, allowing these things to intermix. You aerate when you think your soil is hard, but the best time to aerate is when the soil is soft because your aerator machine pokes down very far into the ground and brings up these nice big plugs of dirt. So you rent an aerator. Spike aerators, I don't think, work very well with the rental aerators that have the big um, plug things, Mm -hmm. spoons on the end, are great. And they work great in the time to... To aerate fescue would be in the fall, just before it starts uh, growing real fast, so September, October, and for Bermuda and the rest in the spring, in May sometime. Right after a rain is a great time to aerate. All right, and the last thing you know we get a lot of questions about, and it's probably specific to your lawn type, of course, the timing, but fertilizer. Fertilizing is about the same timing as aerating. You fertilize just before you know the lawn is going to start growing real fast. So your fescue grows fast starting in September through April or May. Best time to fertilize fescue is in September, October. Fertilize again in November, again in February. Maybe one less one in April, so depending on how the lawn looks. For Bermuda and Zoysia and Centipede, the best time to fertilize them is in the spring when they have greened up. They need to be at least 80%. Better would be 90% green before you put fertilizer down. 
Otherwise, if you fertilize when they're brown, you're just wasting your time. Fertilizer can't be picked up by the plant if the plant is brown. Wait till they're green and fertilize then. Let me ask you a question, too. Does fertilizer benefit the seed in any way? Like if you fertilize close to when you've put new seed down, they don't interact together, right? There's some research that says starter fertilizers are good for seed, and there's other research that says starter fertilizers are not all that beneficial for seed. You can put them down on the same day, sure. But as far as whether the starter fertilizer actually helps the lawn to get started, I'll leave the experts to call in on that one. Walter, thanks for your time this morning. Now, we hope everyone gets out there and takes care of their lawn, right? (laughs) See you soon, Ashley. And more information on Walter Reeves' lawn care calendars. He devised those along with the extension offices at University of Georgia. That can be found at WalterReeves.com. And you just search lawn care calendar. Print that out. He, he didn't get a chance to tell you that. But just print that out. One page. Very easy for whatever type of lawn you have. Month by month what you need to be doing. 648. we got to get out and check traffic and weather. We'll be back on Green and Growing. 95.5 WSB. News. Weather. Traffic. The best talk shows and local coronavirus updates around the clock. Streaming live on your PC or laptop at WSBRadio.com. Good Saturday morning, too. We got a few minutes before 7 o'clock. A weather update from Finley Roofing today. Scattered light showers and the mostly sunny highs around 70 lows in the upper 40s. And tomorrow, that severe storm that's possible, that moves in later in the day and the evening. Temperatures are going to be in the mid-60s and lows in the low 50s. 404-872-0750. Hey, Monty, calling from Ackworth. Want to get you in here real quick. Welcome. Well, thank you. The sun is coming up and the rain's tapering off a little bit up Love here. And it. I'm get, getting ready for a homegrown tomato sandwich and I need your help. <laughs> okay. All right. Can you put enough soil in a five-gallon bucket in order to feed, say, a, a let's say the old beefsteak tomato plant? Yeah. Can now, enough... a five-gallon bucket, you're talking almost like a sheetrock bucket size, right? Yeah, that's what it is. Yep, absolutely. The only thing is you want to make sure you have enough organic matter so that the soil doesn't get too dried out and just don't use topsoil or dirt from the yard. That's going to keep it too dry since you've got such a small area. That should be good, though, and it's going to be deep enough to allow the roots to grow. So I'd say go for it. How many holes do you need to put in for drainage, do you think? I think three is enough. If you can if you can carefully drill three in there, yeah, that's going to be sufficient. Um, and go easy on the fertilizer since, it, since such it's in such a contained area. First, when you you know first plant it, do a light fertilization, and then maybe once it's doubled in size, it's time for another one. And then when a few tomatoes start to appear, that may be a good time for a third application. Would would black something like black cow? cow be a, a good fertilizer for that or not? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just read the label directions so that you make sure you're using the right amount. Um, yeah, you should be fine. And then make sure obviously, you know, Monty, I think you've probably done tomatoes before, but you're going to want something to reinforce it, like a wire trellis or you know, oh, yeah. a cage or something that is going to be able well, to Well, we're going to have a full-size garden, but right now there's so many animals up here. I want to get to the point I can haul them in at night. I'm just going to plant three and bring them in at night and protect them from all the deer and possums and god knows what what walks around here oh at night. i know but, you'll you'll have a little bit of everything that'll try to get to him absolutely but that's good if you're going to be religious about bringing them in and out and you want to do three of them yep sheetrock sheetrock got just nothing fine. else to do at night so that's <laughs> what we'll do okay that's well, right thank you so much i'm okay. so glad you called monty thanks so much good luck with that check back in in the summertime i want to hear how that works out and folks keep me up to date too on once you get these vegetable gardens going i really want to know 
what pests are bothering you. So coming up, I'm going to talk to Margaret in Atlanta. She's got a great tree that bears three different types of fruit. Some of you have never heard that. A fruit salad tree, that's possible, believe it or not. So we're going to help her out with that. And the best time of year to plant hydrangeas. Great question from Bill and Alpharetta, plus Celebrity Gardener coming up. All that and more. I'm Ashley Frasca. Thank you for waking up with us here on Green and Growing 95.5 WSB. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.